You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You know, every day I do the ESPN Radio Sports Beat, and I try and come up with something I feel pretty confident with. Today, it didn't even take, I don't know, 15 minutes after it aired for me to be absolutely wrong. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, <laughs> the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And the Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless is that something Sarah has known for a long time. I'm obviously an idiot. You know, my logic <laughs> was sound, Sarah. I was sitting there this morning putting together the sports beat, and I was like, what do I want to talk about? Well, how about Odell Beckham Jr.? Because we're all wondering where Odell Beckham Jr. is going to go. But as you and I have talked about on this show, got plenty of time to figure that out. We can worry about where he's going to go. The question is, what's the best spot for him? So I'm thinking about it today. And, and, and as I said on the sports beat, the best spot's going to be somewhere where he can show everybody he can still play. He can get a bunch of looks, a bunch of youth. He can get the opportunity to really shine. No matter what the, the state of the team is, can he show the world he can still play? And then, only hours later, Odell Beckham Jr. becomes a new member of the Rams, where he's not going to get that usage. He's not going to get that opportunity, but he might get the chance at a ring, showing you I absolutely could not have been more wrong. <laughs> well, the truth is, is that the Rams, despite being a contender and a place that has accomplished wideouts on the roster already might be the best place for him to prove that he is still an an addition that other teams will look for. Cause it is obviously the one year deal and there's an opportunity for him in a team that's, you know, pass heavy that has three or more receivers on the field. 86% of the time, more than any other team in terms of the amount of snaps they play with three receivers And then they also go empty with five pass catchers and no running backs 19% of the time, the highest in the NFL. This is a team that wants to use its wideouts and wants to have a bunch of options. Also, Van Jefferson, who has been sort of their third deep guy, has an average depth of target over nine yards. He's the only one on the squad that does. And Odell, despite being so rarely used in Cleveland, still had an average depth of target this year of over 13 yards. So this is a deep play guy on a team that is looking for one, on a team that beyond Cooper Cup and Robert Woods haven't used Van Jefferson as much and just lost to Sean Jackson when he wanted to go elsewhere, have, you know, two rookies that got injured. This is actually a team, despite the bevy of riches they have across the board and despite us having the conversations of them going all in this year in every way possible, actually could use him. So you weren't that far off is the nicest way for me to react to that. Well, and I appreciate the support, but, you know, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, part of this for me is I continue to forget that the Rams are playing this actual season like it's Madden. Now, Sarah, you're not a big, like, Madden fanatic, but one thing for me, when you play in franchise mode, every once in a while, you know, like, you're about to get the new version of the game, so you just start trading every draft pick because you don't care about building for the future. You start messing up the whole salary cap because, you know, you're only going to play this one season on Madden, and you go all in, and and then you laugh at the computer because you're like, I can't believe the Xbox let me get away with this. Like, I'm (laughs) I'm gonna go kick everybody's butt. That's how the Rams are sort of approaching this season. That being said, Odell Beckham Jr. becomes sort of a value proposition for him. They have so little skin in the game in being able to bring him in. It doesn't cost them anything towards their future. They could try this out. He can go live in California if it works. Spectacular. If it doesn't, what'd you lose? So to your point, he goes in where not only is he a necessity, but where the team is not going to be made or broken by his uh, overall ability to contribute. So in some ways, it seems alarmingly like it's a win-win for both sides. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, we don't have the details, or at least Adam Schefter didn't. I heard him on with Canty and Golick Jr. at the show right before us here on ESPN Radio. Didn't have the details yet on the exact cost, but he believed it to probably been, uh, you know, a team-friendly deal because they, they don't have a lot of salary cap space with a lot of incentives. I want to talk to Scott Pioli about how incentives get worked into a salary cap situation, um, but then he has a chance to play for his next deal. If he plays well for a team that has great success, which he's now chosen— um, and, and, and according to Diana Rossini, the Rams pitched him not necessarily on the money, but on the best shot, they called it great quarterback, 60%, 65% pass single coverage. Um, as much as we like to think of him wanting to establish himself as the clear number one, instead, what he does is puts himself alongside guys in Cooper cup, especially who are going to draw a lot of attention, offering him the possibility to get a lot more looks than he did in Cleveland. I like this move. Although I will say that the odds on the Rams winning the Super Bowl did not move even one percentage when this was the addition made. <laughs> um, and yeah. I also like the idea that, uh, you know, I was listening to Chris Canty last segment. I thought he handled the up the kind of conversation about his personality perfectly. Here's what he said. The thing that you have to hope now is that the culture is in place to be able to absorb a personality like Beckham's. And there's no reason to think that Sean McVay and Matt Stafford and company won't be able to do that. And then you're looking at the prospects of what happens to them the rest of the way because now you're talking about the L.A. Rams fighting the Arizona Cardinals for not only the division lead, but having an opportunity to get that number one seed in the NFC. And so when we talked about the potential destinations, the teams that would be interested, there had to be a level of urgency. There had to be a level of desperation. And it's interesting. It's funny to think about the L.A. Rams being in that spot, but then you understand what they have invested in this team over the course of the next couple of seasons, and you can make sense as to why they would make this decision and take this calculated risk. Yeah, we could cut it there, too. I mean, I think the thing that stood out the most to me about it was that he said, with nuance, is big personality. Because anybody who's talking about locker room cancer, etc., we haven't heard jack from OBJ in a long time. That is old news, and to me, I think this is a great landing spot for him where he wants to be. Speaking of landing spots, that wasn't the only one that we got today. By the way, that's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Cam Newton, Panthers. I mean, raise your hand if you <laughs> expected that at the beginning of the day. Like in a wild year of uh, NFL football throughout the course of the year now, uh, it, the Panthers have figured out a way to address their quarterback situation with the quarterback, Sarah, that fans and the team know incredibly well. I'm not sure if there's anything to it and what it will actually mean on the field, but in so many ways, you just look at it, you nod your head, you say, all right, that feels kind of cool. It just feels kind of right. I mean, yeah, the the post put out by the Panthers with him you know, in uniform and he's back. Like it, it was heartwarming. This was a guy that was very beloved by that community was really involved there. And the deal's a pretty good one for a guy who got cut unexpectedly after the preseason up to 10 million for the rest of the year includes four and a half million fully guaranteed one and a half million roster bonus uh, per sources. We thought he beat out Daniel Jones for the starting job in new England. Most of the experts, even the ones closest to that team thought it was going to be Cam Newton's job. So whatever idea you have of how he played might go back to last year in the regular season, which wasn't super impressive. But in this year's preseason, he looked good. And this is a team that's still technically in the playoff hunt because of their defense. They haven't gotten good quarterback play. If he comes in with the weapons he's got, with the QB-friendly offense, this could be, at, at the very least, it's a hell of a lot more interesting than the Panthers were, especially with Darnold Hurt. And this could actually be a really cool story if he helps – you know, get them back to being a fun offense to watch and looks a little bit like he did in the preseason.
I think we have to acknowledge, obviously, he'd be learning something different, even though he's back with the same team. This is Matt Rule and Joe Brady. There are going to be a lot of expectations about whatever wrinkles are in this offense that he's going to have to get up to speed with quickly. But familiarity is important for these guys when they come in and have their opportunity to make their statement. Frankly, I hope it works because it's an interesting story anytime Cam is in the league. And you're right, more people are paying attention to Carolina now than they were 24 hours ago. All right, we'll get thoughts on all of this from a longtime NFL GM weighing in on the two huge NFL stories plus more coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. ESPN <laughs> does feel Sirius XM channel like 80. that kind of vibe. It did feel. What are we like, talking about here? What are we going to get into? I'm telling you that ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance proud to support veterans with its annual Keys to Progress Vehicle Giveaway Program. Now celebrating nine years of donating vehicles, helping veterans in need. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. We will say quickly, happy is, Veterans yeah, Day. Yeah, happy Veterans Day. That's a, that's a real thing, although it did sound like we were going to start with your uh, Thursday evening affirmations on this yeah. uh, Thursday night from that's, Spain and Fitz. That's where we were headed. But then Call I, you us know, with your long-distance... <laughs> dedications <laughs> then it got a little real with the read yeah. and then well, then it got then then you slowly backed off halfway through reading yep that's because handled I'm appropriately Burgundy. i appreciate it's it fits <laughs> jason fits we're gonna head straight over to the goodyear hotline where we're joined by nfl network and cbs nfl analyst scott pioli 26 year nfl gm scott really appreciate your time need your expertise here Let's start with Odell Beckham Jr. Obviously, everybody talking about him to the Rams. When you bring somebody in at this point of the season, what's a reasonable expectation for their ability to contribute to an offense? Well, it depends on the quarterback and how quickly the quarterback can cultivate the relationship with the player. And, you know, one of the things, this is going to be pretty interesting because this has been consistently, unfortunately, for Odell, a bit of a relationship problem in different places that he's been. And this is going to have to ramp up very quickly. But the good news is they've got a veteran quarterback who has a great deal of intelligence and tolerance. And he knows, meaning the quarterback, Matthew Stafford, knows that this has to ramp up pretty quick in order for there to be a payback. But this is a tough time for the year to bring in a receiver, especially if he's not familiar with the circumstances, the you know, the the adjustments or adjusting to the people around him and just knowing the, the team's philosophy and the offense. You know, I heard them talking about the deal, which has not yet been uh, discovered or, or re- revealed in terms of the money, but they anticipate a pretty, you know, low veteran kind of deal that he has some incentives on. And I was wondering, you know, as a former exec, what, what kind of um, effect does it have on the salary cap when you do have a deal with major incentives do you just have to yeah. take into account the possibility of him hitting every one of those when you look at whether it fits in the cap? Sarah, these are the kind of deals that teams love. And we did a ton of them. When I was with the New England Patriots, and actually when we were with the when I was with the New York Jets, the Patriots, and then in Kansas City, we loved incentive laden deals, particularly for players that hadn't performed much the year prior, because what happens is you can build in a low base, and then you put into the contract incentives. All the incentives, if you put them as just one higher than what the player was able to achieve the year before, it doesn't count in this year's salary cap. They're considered what they are, non-likely to be earned. So it doesn't hit the cap until he earns it. But that doesn't happen until after the season when you reconcile the books. So if he has a an incentive 
$500,000, he has the incentive to play, to play well, and when he hits them, you know, you don't mind as a club paying a player once they've performed, once they've played. It's really one of you don't want to pay a player for past performance. You want to pay them for current performance. So this is the kind of deal where it will incentivize Odell, it'll incentivize the team, but again, it won't hit the cap until next year if he actually hits those incentives. We're talking to Scott Pioli, NFL Network, CBS NFL analyst, and of course, 26-year NFL GM. Uh, Scott, so, I mean, kind of walk me through that process because it's interesting when you talk about that, but it's these are done so quickly when it's when you're talking about a player like Odell and multiple teams interested. How do you get something creative done that quickly in a way that still services the team and the player? Well, I think it's a matter of how badly the player wants to be there and where the player wants to be. And, again, I go back to a time. I don't want to compare the players or the personalities at all. But I go back to a situation where we signed Randy Moss and we had to get that trade done. When we traded him, we had to get his contract negotiated simultaneously. So we pulled money off the table and we were now in the morning of what was the second day of the draft going into the fourth round. We had to get him in, get a physical. And I understand this is a, a signing, not a trade, but you have to get all those things done and you tell the player, listen, if you, again, perform, we will pay you. If you don't, it's going to have to be this lower amount. So we reduced Randy's base salary by over $5 million in that moment. But he came in saying, okay, if I'm going to be a good player, you just have to reward me, get me back to where I want to be. And sometimes, clearly, Odell wanted to be out of Cleveland. He got what he wanted. That improved his quality of life in his mind. So now he's willing to take a haircut on his base salary as long as he can earn it back. And it has to be done quickly because neither side has time to, to mess around. If he misses another week, that's one less week in order for him to be out there to try to earn the incentives and to try to get the receptions and their yards or touchdowns, whatever they're going to use from an incentive standpoint to build that contract. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Scott Pioli. He's uh, 26 26- year NFL GM and VP now works with NFL Network and CBS NFL analysts. Let's talk about Cam heading back to Carolina. A lot of people would say, listen, you don't let a talented quarterback sit out on the market for this long if he's got something left. But it feels to me like what we saw from him in the preseason, uh, I thought he was going to win the job over Daniel Jones. What are your expectations for him back with the Panthers here? Well, my expectations are a little, I'm, I'm tapping the brakes on this because You know, Cam is clearly not the player he was five years ago. He's not the player he was three years ago. He is not, again, very healthy. You can see it in his throws. You can see it in his arm strength. He can't do the things that he used to be able to do. So I think we have to take Cam and understand he is what he is at this point in his career. And, Sarah, the other thing is this. My biggest concern, and I think the biggest concern is I talked to a lot of GMs around the league even if they thought Cam was one of the best 32, if he had to go into a situation as a backup, he told the world publicly after he was released by the Patriots, and I don't know if you remember this, he said to the world, yes, I was going to be a distraction if I was a backup. So my concern, if I would bring, was going to bring him to my team and he was coming in as the backup, Maybe he comes in and plays quickly because of the injury problems that they're having in Carolina Carolina at the quarterback position. But once the competition is there, 
if he becomes the backup again, does he become a distraction to your football team? Because, again, he was a lot of people were speculating whether or not he would be a distraction. He came out and said it to the world. You needed to move on from me because I was going to be a distraction. And I'm not sure that's what you're looking to bring into your football team at any point in time. This is going to be very, very interesting. I mean, you mentioned quarterback distractions. It immediately makes me think of the situation in New York as the Jets are trying to figure out what to do with the quarterback that's playing right now better than a quarterback that they drafted with the number two overall pick. You've been in so many organizations. I mean, how do you handle it when the guy that you drafted, Zach Wilson, at two, isn't playing as well as Mike White, your backup, that's now getting the chance to be on the field? Well, I think, first of all, with Zach Wilson, this is going to be temporary. He is going to be a better player than he is today. He needs some time to get acclimated. He needs some time to develop and get better in the National Football League. The other thing is this. What I've seen in a lot of years in the NFL is the backup quarterback is usually the most popular guy in the city. Because when he comes in, teams that their opponents aren't prepared for what they're going to do. They don't know what the player's kryptonite is. So generally speaking, there's been a lot of backup quarterbacks that come into games, come into situations, get starts. And the first one or two, they do a pretty good job. But once a team can game plan against the, co- uh, against the backup quarterback, find out what his kryptonite is, and then go after it, we quickly find out why that player is the backup quarterback. So to me... This is not a bad thing for Zach Wilson, in my opinion, because he does need time to develop. He's got himself surrounded by a football team that is not very good. They're not strong in terms of his skilled players around him. They're not strong up front. And really, he's spending a lot of time just trying to worry about the things that he shouldn't be worrying about. And maybe he will be better when he has a better team around him. Scott, we really appreciate your time and your insight, especially on a day with so much great news like today. Although, you know, as a lifelong Raiders fan, he could have not brought up the Randy Moss trade, Scott. Come on! No, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for hanging out. No, please have me come back. I thought you guys fired me, man. I don't think I've been back since April. Goodness well, gracious. I'm like, what did I do wrong? You're just like Cam. No, we had to bring to you back, back at the right time. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. But I'm not going to be disruptive, even if I'm a backup. Please have me back. Oh, thanks. We appreciate it. Scott Pioli, NFL Network, uh, CBS NFL analyst, and, of course, longtime NFL GM. Uh, Great great stuff from him, uh, but that trade is still too soon. Too soon to mention it. All right, coming up next, huge news in college football and what it means for a party. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Some news today. This this will get us to the vodka. I promise. On on Mel Tucker and and you know normally on our show I don't know if we would take the time to address the contracts of of Michigan State coaches or any coaches really, but we really just wanted to get to a different story about Michigan Michigan State. So Fitz, let's just get the uh, pleasantries out of the way. You got any thoughts on Mel Tucker's uh, contract? Yeah, so it looks like there's been all of this conversation about Mel Tucker's buyout was so low that LSU was going to hire him after the season. Now it looks like they've already taken care of that as Mel Tucker now is going to be one of the 10 highest paid coaches, according to multiple reports, in all the country. Ryan Day money, Ohio State money, 
Some reports are that it's in excess of $8 million per year. So Mel Tucker getting a big raise, which I'm sure has a much bigger buyout, which is basically what he wanted the entire way in trying to make sure that the rumors about LSU's head coaching opportunities also included his name. So now we could just eliminate that conversation at least yeah. for today. All right, that was the news peg for the story I really wanted to get to, and we all wanted to get to, which I spotted on the big lead today. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, sorry for partying too hard at football game. That's going to get my click every time. Just uh, that's 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 the right draw there. This was the Michigan-Michigan State game. You, of course, remember the incredible MSU uh, comeback from 16 points down. Um, the game of the year probably so far. And Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel likely doesn't remember it uh, because she went a little too hard at the tailgate to the point where she had to put out a statement or at least felt compelled to put out a statement. Here's just a little bit of it. Uh, My staff has pleaded with me to hire a crisis management PR firm for an incident that occurred on 1030 at the UMMSU football game. Instead, I thought I would just share the events which transpired that fateful day Before the big game, I attended a tailgate on an empty stomach. Much to my surprise, MSU tailgates tend to have more alcohol than food, so I thought it seemed like a good idea to eat two Bloody Marys, since as long as you put enough vegetables in them, it's practically a salad. As it turned out, this was not a brilliant idea. Also, I might be a terrible bartender. She goes on uh, to talk about going to the game, which I'm told Michigan definitely won, Uh, so I'm Mm -hmm. guessing she doesn't remember. Started to feel ill, laid low for a while, uh, posted a photo of her sitting in her seat, hat over her eyes, looking like perhaps she wants to take a nap or otherwise, and then her friends recommended that she leave, quote, so as to prevent me from vomiting on any of my constituents, polling consistently shows Roman showers to be unpopular among most demographics. Uh, people helped her up the stairs. Someone grabbed a wheelchair so she wouldn't stumble in the parking lot, had a designated driver, went home, fell asleep on the couch, took some Tylenol. And uh, allegedly that was all of the, uh, you know, tailgate gate scandal Um, She did say, I'm human. Sometimes I screw up. This was definitely one of those times. My apologies to the entire state of Michigan for this mishap, but especially that Michigan fan sitting behind me. Some things you can't unsee. From now on, I pledge to never drink on an empty stomach and definitely never have another Bloody Mary because it's going to take a while to get that taste out of my mouth. Sorry to the people who have supported me for letting you down. I will try to do better. I like it. I mean, honestly, it's kind of a wild ride. I appreciate the humor in it. And she just owned up to it. I mean, what's what's not more relatable, Fitz, than having a few too many at an early tailgate? I did that myself at a Michigan Notre Dame tailgate shortly after becoming vegetarian, where I forgot to, you know, plan ahead and bring any of my own food and realized every single thing at the tailgate had meat in it. So I would just drink my way through it, which didn't end well for me either. I mean, I think almost anybody that's ever gone to a, any sort of a, a live sporting event has had a moment where you've turned around and said, okay, I'm going to be just fine. I'm going to eat. And then you realize you forgot that process along yeah. the way. And yep. the important thing is that, you know, you stayed safe in the process of it. And, uh, you know, the Bloody Mary can, it, it can, it can trip people up a little bit. It can, it can. Uh, it, it, which brings us to the question of the day, which is what kind of alcohol was in the Bloody Mary, right? What did she said? She might've been a terrible bartender, maybe a little bit overserved there. Maybe the ratios weren't right. Is there any chance that it was, Arby's new French fry flavored vodka. Yes. Yeah, did you did you yes. see this on Mike Ola Jr.'s uh, Oh, I did. Yeah, the, I the, saw the it on his Insta setup. too. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. He got a case of Arby's crinkle fry vodka and curly fry vodka. The fry flavored 80 proof bottles are available for purchase a week from today. They're made from potato vodka. Curly fry has cayenne, paprika, onion, and garlic. Crinkle fry kosher salt, 
and sugar. Um, so you can buy this. Why you would want to, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe just to try it out. Uh, and it had me thinking, Fitz. It had you and I thinking. What would be the best flavor to infuse into a vodka from all the fast food-related items? I'm going in hard with a frosty-flavored vodka. And I would like okay. for anyone to top that. What what flavor in the fast food world could you top a frosty flavored vodka? You can't. Have you had the frosty chino yet, Sarah? Like, I haven't. Since, for anyone that doesn't know, Sarah eats like does not really eat any of the garbage that I. Yeah, put in other my than body. when I eat but, the liquor, which is what I have in common with that attorney general. <laughs> but you know my my you know love of Wendy's. Everybody knows it. Like I there there's virtually no one I wouldn't leave in my life for uh, unlimited <laughs> Wendy's. So I I'm driving by and I see the Wendy's. The local Wendy's is now open for breakfast, and I'm like, okay, God, you're telling me that I need to do this right now. So I pull in. And uh, interesting, God didn't have anything better to do that morning than tell me to have <laughs> Wendy's for breakfast. But anyway, I go through the drive-thru and I go up to the front and it says Frosty Chino. So like mm. any responsible American, I say, excuse me, what's a Frosty Chino? And she says, it's uh, the, the woman on the other side says, it's cold brew with Frosty in it. And I said, mm. yes, please, God, inject that <laughs> in my veins. And it was worth every, like, I don't care how many calories it was. It I was, was going to say, every single ounce that's of like, it. like, I don't care. That's like when I first started drinking coffee and I could only have Frappuccinos, which is just a milkshake that has caffeine right. in it, which is no, fine no. if that's what you want. And that's what you're having when you have a Frosty Chino or whatever that is. That's just, I would like my dessert, but I would like to pretend it's coffee. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something from the fast food. By the way, uh, Mike tweeted out the whole thing that Arby sent him was a Bloody Mary package. Like, So they gave him like the Worcestershire Whoa. and the tomatoes. See, and the lunch, I really the called thing. that. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, Signed for, and they gave him a tiny Arby's vodka shot glass. I really do need to know if he used the Arby's <laughs> shot glass to, to actually measure the vodka. But, uh, you know, I can't think of anything that would be better. But I do think there's something interesting. Like, I don't know. I'm kind of a fan of a two cheeseburger meal, like sometimes, or a junior bacon cheeseburger. Give me a junior oh, bacon cheeseburger meat vodka. vodka. Oh, yeah. Meat, meat vodka. vodka. Meat Cheese vodka. vodka? Give me the meat sweats. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> in for that. Like, chili vodka? Maybe, you know, you want like something. Ew, that like- no. No? No, Although that's no, kind of no, like no. Bloody Mary, right? But I don't like no. salty, like so- savory drinks like that. That's so why I don't, I don't like do Bloody Marys. Drinks. Yeah, like mm. I don't want like I like a spicy sweet, want- like a jalapeno pineapple, like a fruity base with the jalapeno nope. that cuts it. Nope. No, yeah, I don't want any, any of this thing where I'm going to have like tequila and it's infused with something that's going to make me need to chase it with something to keep the heat out of my mouth. I don't want that. Like, I, Oh, yeah. I, I forgot you have a trash like, palate. Yeah. Fruity and refreshing. I, I, I think the frosty has got to be the ultimate. I think frosty's I up there. Also, I'm worried I mean, that I don't think you could try the fry vodka because it has cayenne and other seasonings in it. And you sound like an, a, a, a guy who doesn't oh, yeah. season no, and, his food. And also, like, curly <laughs> fries in general are trash. Like, I want the fries. If I'm, okay, yeah, get a hold of your life. Okay, we're going to put that awful. on fries there, too. Fries need salt. That's okay. all I need is salt. Well, I've put, it up. I've put it up on the poll. You can join the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. We also deserve a Dr. Pepper vodka. I'm just saying, like that would be magical. How about it? Uh, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain, in honor of the Arby's French fry-flavored vodka, which flavor from the fast food universe would you most like to see infused into a vodka? Can you beat my Wendy's frosty-flavored vodka? Hit us up now and let us know. Coming up, we're going to check in on the Ravens. We got some football tonight. Thursday night football. Kickoff against the Dolphins coming up. We'll get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Joined now by ESPN Ravens reporter Jamison Hensley ahead of tonight's Thursday night football matchup between the Ravens and Dolphins. Before we get into the football, Jamison, important question for you. In honor of Arby's French fry flavored vodka, what fast food related item would you most want infused into your vodka? Wow. That is not a question I anticipated for this. Yeah, yeah. Coming with the hard stuff. I, no softballs I, I here. What, 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 I don't even know what the options I went be, with Wendy's. Honestly. I went with Wendy's Frosty Vodka. Yeah, basically Ooh. Sarah did so well with this question that all other <laughs> answers have been can't like I can't figure out anything that would top a frosty vodka. Yeah, I, honestly, I, that is that's a pretty yeah. Shamrock I, I would, shake if vodka. Said that, I would be mm. like, yeah. Mm. All right, we'll let you ride with that. Let's get back to the game tonight. <laughs> this is not a uh, a matchup with a lot of uh, tension ahead of it. In fact, the last three times that the Ravens have played at the Dolphins, they've outscored them a grand total of 137 to 16. So is there any chance we're looking at a trap game here for the Ravens? I think any thought that the Ravens would overlook a team, uh, they just have to play about this, the, the game video from uh, a couple of months ago when they went and had a, needed a 66, uh, you know, historic 66-yard field goal by Justin Tucker to beat the winless Detroit Lions. So mm-hmm. uh, this is a Ravens team that they, they, they're shorthanded with injuries, uh, and I don't think they feel like they're in a prospect or in a position to say, hey, uh, they can overlook anybody because they've been in so many difficult situations this year, coming back from double-digit deficits in the second half three times already this season. Uh, they, they understand that they need to get off to a fast start, and if not, uh, it's, it's going to be a difficult game for them. So while still giving credit to finding a way to win, let's also acknowledge four of their six wins are one-score games. So how good are the Ravens? I, I think they're better than they would have anticipated after losing you know, their top two running backs, uh, an all-pro left tackle, uh, an all-pro cornerback in Marcus Peters. And then just this past weekend, uh, they lost their starting safety in Deshaun Elliott. So, no, when you look at the, the, the amount of injuries that the Ravens have had to say, hey, that the Ravens would be six and two after eight games. They would, they would take that in a heartbeat. Uh, whether in the way they had to come back and, and really kind of sweat out some of these victories, they probably would have liked that a little bit easier victories. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's hard to pinpoint how good this Ravens team is. But kind of my blanket answer to a lot of things is: as long as the Ravens have Lamar Jackson, they have the ability to beat any team they play against. Jamison Hensley, ESPN Ravens reporter with us. It's wild how we're just about halfway through the year, and I already kind of forgot about how many players they lost early on in the season that they've played well enough for us to forget it a little bit. And you mentioned Lamar Jackson. He is the reason for them playing so well. First player in NFL history with 2,000-plus pass and 600-plus rush yards in his first eight games of the season, on pace become just the second in the Super Bowl era to be top 10 in pass yards and rush yards for a whole season. And yet there's still conversation of others being the MVP front runners, what would Lamar have to do to get back as the top for that uh, for that award here? I, I think when you look just at his the, the the statistics and face value, I mean, you know, his he's not ranking high in touchdown passes. He's had a lot of turnovers this year. Uh, I believe it's about four or five fumbles, uh, seven interceptions. Uh, so he's made a lot more mistakes than he did in his 2019 MVP season. But when you look at Again, the the amount of losses the Ravens have had as far as injury, 
Uh, and to have this, this Ravens team being at 6-2, and two, the second best record in the AFC, uh, when you're looking and saying who is the most valuable player, I have a hard time saying anybody is more valuable to their team, one person more valuable to their team than Lamar Jackson. Jameson, I'm a little stunned sometimes when I look at the schedule, and you know it's always rough to look at the schedule moving forward, but most of the divisional matchups are still in front of this team. In fact, yes. they, they have to play every – they have one game against the Bengals that they lost. The rest of it is still in front of them. That feels strange to me. How do they stack up against the rest of their division over the last half of the season to you? Yeah, I mean, they'll really find out because, like you said, the, the bulk of their remaining games – uh, for the last you know two months of the season are against the AFC North. And they really have to, I mean, they have to take advantage of games like against Miami and then next week against Chicago because that's when their schedule gets really tough, where I believe you know the, the five division games are in the last seven. And, and their last seven opponents, they all have winning records right now. So uh, that's why the Ravens have to take care of this. And then when they get into the harder part of the schedule, especially against their division opponents, that's when they really – they, they know and, and they feel very confident in how they stack up against the Browns, the Steelers, and Bengals. And they want to have another shot at the Bengals. Uh, but really, you won't know how good this team is in the division until they start playing teams in the division, and that will come towards the end of the season. Spain and Fitz, we're looking ahead to tonight's Thursday night football matchup between the Ravens and Dolphins, talking to Jamison Hensley, ESPN Ravens reporter. Beyond tonight, when the expectation would be whether it's Tua, you know, whether it's Brissett, that this is going to be a game that the Ravens should win. As you look to the rest of the season, what could be the biggest downfall for this team to not live up to its potential outside of the obvious, like an injury to Lamar Jackson? Where are the weaknesses that could show up? Yeah, it's the defense because you really just don't know which defense is going to show up. And it kind of sounds weird saying that about a Ravens team because Ravens historically are known for their defense. But you, 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 at this season, they've allowed, in four games, they've allowed over 30 points. And then in three games, they've held teams 17 points or less. So it's kind of almost like they're, they're great and dominant in, in some of these games, and then they look like the worst defense in the NFL in some of these others. So they need the games against you know, the, the Miami Dolphins, against Chicago Bears, to kind of build up their confidence. And I asked the Ravens cornerback, Marlon Humphrey, how do you get that consistency? And he said, a lot, really, for, a lot, for this team, it's really getting back to basics and really getting that tackling. He feels that so many of their big plays this season have become has been because they're unable to get their the you know the offensive players on the ground. So if they can improve their tackling, they feel like they can be more consistent on defense. But right now, when you ask me the biggest weakness on this team and really the biggest question mark, it's the Ravens defense. Is that a talent issue or a scheme issue in your mind? It's it's hard to say with a talent issue because they do. I mean, they have a lot of first round picks, second round picks on that defense. I think Early on, when they've allowed so many of these big plays, it really was kind of this, you know, this gut punch as far as confidence because this team has been known and, and is, has this great tradition as far as being so good on defense that once they start giving up, you know, these thirty-point games and they've allowed uh, you know, four hundred-yard passing games to the likes of, you know, uh, uh, you know, Derek Carr, uh, Carson Wentz, uh, Joe Burrow. Uh, th- this is not what they're used to. So I think they really do need to kind of get and have string a couple of games where they are dominant once again to really get that confidence back. Awesome stuff, Jamison. Enjoy the game tonight, and thanks for the time. Hey, have a great rest of your show. Thanks so much. Jamison Hensley, ESPN Ravens reporter. Get in the Zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the Zone. 
AutoZone. I imagine that Lamar Jackson will be in the zone tonight, as he has been for so many of the Ravens games, regardless of who's on the opposite side. And I haven't checked most recently, but every expectation is that Tua will not be able to go. Oh, here we go. We do have it officially now that Jacoby Brissett is going to make his second straight start. Tua's got that fracture on the middle finger of his left hand. An opportunity for Brissett fits, but unfortunately, we don't get to see Tua, who needs to make a statement soon. 18th in completion percentage, 28th in pass yards, 27th in pass yards per attempt, 24th in touchdowns, interceptions, 25th in passer rating. If he wants to try to have a shot to ensure that he could get another spot as the starter next year after this disastrous season for the Dolphins, he needs to make some statement games and once again, not an opportunity to do so tonight. Yeah, he needs reps. At the end of the day, he needs reps, and the Dolphins need him to get those reps so that everybody can figure out what they have there. Unfortunately, they're not getting them. And in the meantime, Lamar Jackson is getting the reps, making the most of the reps that he always gets, and is crushing everything this year, no matter how bad it is around him. So Lamar will will them to victory no matter what. Couldn't believe that. 137-16 to 16 score over the last three meetings in Miami. Oof. Hopefully a better game tonight. Coming up, we'll get a reaction from Charlotte on Cam's return. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I feel like every Sunday, it's been wildly unpredictable what will happen in the NFL. But that doesn't necessarily play into what we expect on our Thursday NFL news. And for everybody that had their eyes on Odell Beckham Jr. and where he was going to go, the one thing most of us didn't think we'd be talking about by this time tonight was Cam Newton being a Carolina Panther again. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we're going to head straight to the Goodyear hotline where we are joined by Molly Cotton, 730 the game, ESPN Charlotte. Molly, how surprised were you guys locally to hear this? Because it felt like it shook all of us. Were you guys locally surprised also? I mean, I'll tell you what. Yes, I was very surprised because even yesterday I was questioning and wondering if Cam Newton would even be in the league again, considering there are some quarterback needy teams out there, even one like a Washington football team with a Marty Herney and Ron Rivera who knows Cam well, and it doesn't feel even feel like they were willing to take a flyer on Cam. And for me, and I know for some other people here in Charlotte, it felt like you were kind of getting back together with your ex. It's like, oh, why do that? No, let's, let's look towards the future. We don't need to admit that we made a huge mistake at the quarterback position to begin with, but I'm pretty shocked that this organization did kind of set aside their egos at one point and say, look, we may have made a mistake um, a few years ago when we released Cam Newton, but let's give this a try again. I guess we all believe in second chances here in Carolina, but I really am shocked. Just from the Panthers' perspective, uh, with the David Tepper and the ego he has, and even a Matt Rule, uh, that you would want to go backwards and bring back the guy that you didn't believe in at one point. Yeah, obviously a desperate move from a team that's still technically in the playoff hunt because their defense has held up despite not getting good quarterback play. And, you know, you mentioned having to sort of, you know, accept your own flaw or or mistake um, in doing this. But, you know, the question is the relationships and how they ended. And what do you know about that? Because we, we talked a lot about whether Ron Rivera would want Cam, and that sounded like an absolute no early in the season, but we didn't really talk. It was so absurd to imagine him going back to Carolina that we never really talked about the relationships that were left there. What do you know about them? 
Yeah, and even like with, with the David Tepper and Matt Rule, I mean, that's what's so difficult is because at least the fans here that from that perspective felt like Cam Newton was done kind of dirty. It didn't really feel like he got a real farewell tour in Carolina or a proper farewell even from the Carolina Panthers. So I don't know how well that, that relationship ended, but as much as it's probably a desperation move for the Carolina Panthers, I think it's probably as much of a desperation move for Cam Newton realizing, hey, yeah, I'll sign back here with the Carolina Panthers, $10 million for a year. Uh, nobody's going to complain about that because honestly, I'm not sure, many, not sure how many other teams were really <laughs> chomping at the bit to try to sign Cam. So relationship-wise, I can't imagine it's great, Um, but I think from a locker room standpoint, you felt that maybe things were starting to fall through the cracks a bit just from the players and the teammate perspective, just because of how things, how badly things have gone this season. So I think the players are opening uh, this locker room up with open arms for Cam Newton. We're talking to Molly Cotton, 730 of the game, ESPN Charlotte on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Molly are the Panthers a playoff team with Cam Newton in your mind? Uh, they have a better chance. But saying that you signed a quarterback that's better than Sam Darnold or P.J. Walker, as we know, is not saying a whole lot. Your neighbor is probably <laughs> better at quarterback than Sam Darnold was uh, these past few-plus games here in Carolina. Their playoff path is there for the Carolina Panthers. Are you still a team, even with Cam beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers twice, the Buffalo Bills later in the schedule? No, but I do believe you can win a game or two more than you could have with a P.J. Walker here now as a starting quarterback. So do they sneak into the playoffs? Yes, I think they do, but I don't think this is a team, even with the defense, which is very clear win-now defense that's very good with a lead in those first few games of the season, I still don't see this as a playoff team that's making some type of deep run into the postseason. And so I think the Panthers will be right back and remain in quarterback purgatory this offseason. And they'll probably yet again fail at evaluating that position like they have here these past few years. This is sort of existential, but you mentioned that around that local area a lot of people thought cam was done dirty and for all the sort of ridiculous assumptions made about what his attire or his boisterousness meant about his locker room presence or whether people liked him by all accounts he was a massive hit in the community was beloved around town and was really liked by his teammates so that being said if he left and people felt like he could have had more he was our mvp he wasn't done right if he comes back and he sucks is that a worse ending for him than the incomplete nature of the last time he left? I mean, I kind of think it is. Like, now you don't have an excuse anymore for Cam. Now it's no longer David Tepper or Matt Rule or this organization did him dirty and didn't give him that extra chance or that final chance to, to go out on his own terms. And I don't see it. This isn't a 2015 Cam Newton, but these fans here today – I should never be shocked by fans, but I'm uh, near flabbergasted. The excitement 
excitement in this town and from this fan base with Cam Newton coming to, as a quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. And can his shoulder, can his foot, can whatever other ailment he's dealt with here these past multiple years like hold up for a few games? Yeah, I think it can. Can it hold up enough to make it to the playoffs? Yeah, but I do think eventually – we're going to see who Cam really is. And he's an aging quarterback who at one point was an NFL MVP in 2015, but that was long ago. And it's going to come up and hit us all with a major reality check, whether that's three games into Cam Newton's second tenure here in Carolina or eight. I don't think it's going to end very pretty here with Cam Mm. and the Carolina Panthers. Mm. If that happens then, Molly, and it doesn't end pretty, what's it mean for Matt Rule and the amount of rope he gets from Panthers fans? For Matt, I think he makes it another season, but I'll be honest, I don't know if this organization really entirely knows what they're doing. Not only is this a desperation move for Carolina, to me it speaks to the dysfunction that they have in the organization from a personnel standpoint. You're putting Cam Newton behind, which we haven't even mentioned, a bad offensive line, an offensive line that just put a left tackle on IR, so he's out a few games. Matt Paradis, the center, who wasn't great to begin with, but he was still the starter, he's out the rest of the season. Things have really fallen off the rails here for the Panthers. And Again, Cam can probably make this a playoff team, but I still think in the end his body and his health is going to catch up to him. I think that Matt Rule will get another year uh, with David Tepper and him coming in as an owner and wanting it all to work out and wanting to win. uh, That's clearly not happening. And I think one of the bigger problems is that Matt Rule doesn't have a specific head coach lane. Matt Rule is a little bit of a head coach, a little bit of a general manager, and who's ever making those personnel decisions this directionalist at this point. So I think that David Tepper will bring Matt Rule back for another season because I think they'll just sneak into the playoffs. But I'll be honest with you, I don't think they should because I don't know if this coaching staff is really the answer from a personnel standpoint, from a management standpoint, or even from a coaching standpoint, a long-term for this Panthers team. Listen to her on 7.30 The Game ESPN. Charlotte, Molly, always appreciate your time and expertise. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great night. Thanks, Molly. Molly was brought to you by Goodyear. Making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. We're going to move forward. Well, we're going to move west, really. We're going to head out to L.A. to get the reaction there to Odell Beckham Jr., the newest member of the Los Angeles Rams. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If there's anything we can say definitively this year, is that the Rams are going all in. And that means that every time there's an opportunity to make themselves better, they find a way to get it done. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Wondering how the news is being received in L.A. So we're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we are joined by DeMarco Farr, ESPN LA 710. DeMarco, I think a lot of us were sort of looking at it and saying, my God, the Rams get another deal done. What's the reception been like in L.A. to the big news today? Uh, kind of like yours, shock, uh, complete surprise, um, not really knowing how this is going to work out, but it's it's pure Los Angeles. <laughs> this move was pure L.A. It, it does put butts in the seats. Um, I remember uh, when Tom Brady came to town. Uh, SoFi has been packed with fans, and when Tom Brady was here, it was packed with celebrities. So 
with with guys like Von Miller coming to town now that's here and Odell Beckham Jr., that will definitely bring in that group to SoFi. It will make SoFi the place to be on Sundays, Mondays or Thursdays, whenever you're playing. Now it's up to Sean McVay, Raheem Morris, to try to figure out how to get all these guys on the field at the same time. But uh, everybody's excited about the move, no doubt. I don't want to question your bona fides, but pure L.A. Rams would be if they had to give up some picks from the next draft in which they have some, which I think is, what, 2029? They didn't do that. So that is the only part of it that is not pure L.A. Rams. But the selling out to try to win this year is absolutely that. The question is, does it actually make them better? And most people would say they have an embarrassment of riches, but if you look at at, at the setup of this team because of some losses to first-year wideouts who have injuries or um, – ones that just haven't been efficient, they could absolutely use him alongside Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Do you have faith in his willingness to be perhaps that deep option or to allow the fact that the other two guys are getting covered a lot to, to take advantage of what will be probably not a ton of looks every game? Wow, great question, sir. Um, not really, no, because <laughs> Deshaun Jackson just went through it and he asked his way out of here because he could not crack that top three. Van Jefferson has been the third receiver. He's been uh, the, the triumphant be, between Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and then Van Jefferson. So Deshaun Jackson was kind of the odd man out. He couldn't take it. He's out of here. So uh, it seemed like the Rams were just going to settle in with their receivers. And the one thing that, that have made Robert Woods and Cooper Cup so good together over the years is they've been unselfish. They don't care who gets the football. They don't care whose number has been called. Uh, they either block hard, run routes to clear out, or catch the football. So very unselfish guy. So Deshaun Jackson didn't fit in with that group, so he's out. And then you go and bring in OBJ to the to the same mix. So I don't know how you incorporate incorporate all that into this receiving core without actually changing it. So uh, we'll see. It's up to Sean McVay. Like I said, this is a whole lot of sizzle. Uh, now Sean McVay has to bring the stake because uh, expectations just got even higher for this football team. I mean, walk me through a little bit of that process, Demarco, because like. I keep thinking about an Odell Beckham Jr. coming in that maybe at times, we don't know, but seems to be a little prickly when he's not getting the ball. He comes into a new offense where he's got to immediately find his rhythm, and then at the same time, his personality's got to fit into a locker room. Are the, is the Rams' locker room set up to handle Odell Beckham Jr. if he's not happy? That's a great question. I, I, I hope so. I mean, look, it, it's uh... – it's it's a tough locker room. You, you've got Jalen Ramsey, who's combustible in the room. You've got Aaron Donald, who doesn't say much to the media, but inside the room, he is definitely the barn boss. So I don't think you really have a choice but to kind of fit in. You know, we're still trying to figure out how Von Miller fits on this football team uh, in this locker room. Uh, we haven't seen him in uniform yet, so there's a lot of changeover in these last two weeks. So uh, that that's a, that's, a, that's a big change for any team that's pursuing a playoff spot, especially in this division, but it's something you have to deal with. Like I said, this is very L.A. Uh, you went out and got a, a a Hall of Famer in Von Miller that you have to fit in. Uh, he's a left end. Leonard Floyd is a left end. So how does Raheem Morris get both of those guys on the field to do what they do best? Uh, we don't know. And how do you get Odell Beckham Jr. to kind of buy in to be in the fourth receiver? Or do you go to Van Jefferson, who's been you know playing well for you, and say, hey, look, since we got this guy, now we're going to sit you down in favor of him. Uh, how do you do that without losing Van Jefferson or losing parts of your roster because you're benching a guy that has done nothing but produce for you? So right now there's a lot of question marks, but it's kind of like the Lakers. How, how does Westbrook and LeBron get together? We don't know, but 
we're all going to watch to see. Either it's going to be a championship or a train wreck. I think it's the same thing going on here with the Rams. Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to DeMarco Farr of ESPN LA 710. OBJ headed to the Rams. Yet another weapon? We'll find out. Uh, We haven't seen enough of him, I guess, recently to know what kind of guy he still could be. What is the local reaction to the approach from the Rams? Because I happen to believe, particularly as a Bears fan who watches so many of our draft picks get wasted, that I'm fine with (laughs) going all in and looking for proven commodities in in the free agency or in trade. Uh, and being willing to get rid of some of those unproven draft picks. What is the local response, and, and just how much does it feel like it's win or things are screwed for the coming years based on trying to go for it if they don't win? Well, I, I know where you're going, and it's there's there's some, some trepidation there because you're worried about the future, but you know that kind of goes away if you win now. Uh, if you win now and you win a Super Bowl or at least get to one and you know you fall on hard times because of that pursuit, uh, they'll call that rebuilding. Now, if you don't make the playoffs or you go one and done and then the bill comes due and you go back to the bottom, well, they're going to call you a bad football team, and that's how guys lose jobs. But, you know, I did have a conversation about this and uh, with a team exec on the field. I haven't really seen him or talked to him in like a year due to COVID because, you know, we were all spread out. So I finally saw him, went up and talked to him and asked him to tell me about the Von Miller trade. How did that go down? And, you know, he was telling me about the picks, and the Rams felt like they still had eight picks in the draft. They still felt comfortable they could replenish their roster through the draft. But it, it's almost like a relief not having those first-day picks because, like you said, it, it's, it's, it's fun when you pick these guys, but it's not fun when they bust out or it's not fun when you waste the pick. And that could do more damage than, you know, hitting on a guy in the first round. So, And one more thing about OBJ. I don't know how good he is or how good he or how physically able he is to be dominant because I'm not sure everything that went down in Cleveland was his fault. Uh, I'm not the biggest Baker Mayfield fan. I'm not sure he's going to be the guy in Cleveland. So I'll tell you this, if he's talented, if OBJ can still play like OBJ, you've got a quarterback here in Matthew Stafford that can get him the football deep. Uh, he can get him the football on these out, out routes with velocity and he's got a a play caller and a, a offensive genius, so to speak, and Sean McVay that can design stuff to get you open. Look at Cooper Cup. He's already over 1,000 yards, and we're, we're, we're barely halfway through the season. So if, Obel, if Odell Beckham Jr. can still play like he used to, then I look forward to him lighting it up here in Los Angeles. You guys can listen to him on ESPN LA 710. DeMarco, really appreciate your time and your insight. DeMarco Farr joining us. Thanks so much for the insight, my friend. No problem. Anytime. Sarah, I think it's interesting because he just referenced so much with the Rams, and I keep looking at a team with the Rams that lost to the Cardinals big and then beat a bunch of bad teams and lost big to the Titans. Like, I'm not sure we really know how great this Rams team is right now. We just know that they're great on paper, and it's going to be interesting to see how they put all of that together because I don't think we'll see much against 49ers, but the Packers are going to give them a tough time. They still have the Cardinals left. Like, there's still a lot left to prove for this Rams team, no matter how good they look when we play the video game version. I agree, but I feel like there are so few teams that haven't had that game or two that have you questioning them, and there aren't many more. Um, there's just a couple in addition to the Rams that when I see them playing great, I feel like, oh, this team could 100% win it all. Yeah, well, and one thing that I will say, you're 1,000% right in what you joked in the beginning. It's not like they gave up any trade equity for him. They didn't give up any draft picks for him. So all they've done now is they've utilized the free agent opportunity 
to bring in a talented player that has a ton of name recognition that may or may may not make the team better. Like when you just boil it down to that, I don't see a lot of risk for the Rams in doing Mm -hmm. it. If it doesn't work out, then Odell goes along his merry way. So uh, we'll see how it plays out, obviously, for the Rams over the next few weeks. But the one thing we know is that history will look back at this super team they're building with uh, curious eyes on how it all plays out. Coming up, one NBA team looks like they're back. Sarah's excited. We'll talk to an expert about it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Excited to talk NBA, but most specifically, my Chicago Bulls, who are 100% back, baby. And when I need to know whether the Bulls are back or not, or just how back they are, I know to go to Trey Kirby of the No Dugs Pod on The Athletic. His Twitter feed, at Trey Kirby, will tell you just how back the Bulls are at any given moment. We'll get to Vucevic, but let's start with the win last night. A win over another quality team. And I think we've been hesitant because of recent years, Trey, to get too excited, uh, especially when the start was against not great teams. But I've seen enough now to have them a lot higher in the East, not just, you know, sliding in at seven or eight by the time the season ends, right? I think that's exactly right. But if I'm being quite honest, Sarah, I hope you burned my appearance from last year because it was about the same time. And I was saying the Bulls were 100% back then, too. They're looking a lot more back, however, this season. Wins over the Nets, wins over the Mavericks. That's right. Wins over the Jazz, wins over the Celtics. They're actually beating the good teams this season. Last year, you know, they could beat any of the bottom feeders but would really struggle against the playoff caliber teams. This year, they've got a little bit more veteran help. They're playing some defense. The offense is looking as good as people were expecting. So, yeah. The Bulls are back. I mean, the, the players are, are debating it in the post-game press conferences. <laughs> they must be back. Right, so I mean, before we move on, Fitz, I have to ask about Vucevic because he tested positive for COVID today. He is fully vaccinated. Um, he was guarding Joel Embiid in back-to-back games prior to Embiid testing positive. Now that he's tested positive, you presume he has to uh, send the entire Dallas Mavs team into the testing protocol along with the Bulls. Um, how big of a deal is it for him to be out a couple games as they go on this West Coast trip? Yeah, the timing could not be worse going on the circus trip, and it's all good teams that are going to be playing. The Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, Blazers, and Nuggets. And after last night, even more of a bummer because that was probably Vooch's best game of the season, at least in the past couple of weeks. He's been struggling uh, against the Sixers, like you mentioned, and then even against the Nets. But against Dallas, I actually liked what I was seeing from the Bulls, getting uh, Vooch the ball in the post there late in the fourth quarter, trying to get him some good shots against some smaller defenders. So to see him get into a rhythm and then go out the next day when you're heading to your biggest road trip of the season, not ideal especially considering as well that the Bulls don't have a ton of big guys coming off the bench. So Going to need to see some more incredible performances from Javante Green, Caruso helping out, and I assume Tony Bradley likely steps into the starting role. He's been pretty good off the bench, but a lot bigger ask going out west and playing those starter minutes. All right, one more on the Bulls. i got to get one in here. Lonzo shooting right. much better now than we've seen ever, especially compared to where he started with the Lakers. Why? Why is he shooting better now? The shot looks a lot better for the first part, I think. Uh, got some work down with Fred Vincent in the New Orleans Pelicans, and the shot is cleaner. It's a lot quicker, and the Bulls have done a good job of keeping Lonzo as almost a spot-up shooter. I feel like uh, he can struggle a little bit when he's handling the ball, trying to create it off the dribble. 
But when it's DeRozan or Levine or even off a short roll from Vucevic, kind of kicking it out to Lonzo in rhythm, he's money then. So he's definitely cleaned up the shot. It's been super impressive. Uh, seven threes last night was a huge shooting night from Lonzo. And, you know, the Bulls are not a prolific three-point shooting team at this point. They're 30th in the league in attempts. So any makes from Lonzo certainly is helpful for Chicago. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Trey Kirby of the No Dunks pod on The Athletic. So the Bulls gelling incredibly fast for a team that added a ton of pieces in the offseason. Meanwhile, an exciting Knicks team that has everybody bing-bonging and everyone remembering the atmosphere of last year's playoffs, not so much. And Coach Tibbs' rant, nothing new to us Bulls fans, but a little bit early in the season maybe for him to already be benching all of his starters for the fourth quarter of a loss and talking about how, you know, once you get too many games in and they aren't gelling, then the whole season is lost and BS. Yeah, I thought it was a little early to be playing uh, the second unit for 16 straight minutes, but you know the, the <laughs> that's a Tibbs kind of move. And when you look at the results from last year, when the Knicks uh, the Knicks came back last year, went into the playoffs basically as a defensive team. They finished top five in defense and just did enough on offense to get by. Definitely a Tibbs looking team. But now you look at the Knicks this season, 21-22, they're top five in offense, bottom five in defense. Mm. So not a huge surprise to Bulls fans who watched Tibbs back in the day that he would be a little upset if there's no defensive effort out there. So, yeah, I mean, to be, uh, to be pulling that kind of motivational tactic a month into the season, a little bit worrisome if you're the Knicks, but not a total surprise given their uh, personnel out there this season. I wouldn't say that the success of the Warriors are a total surprise, but I would say that anyone that really had you know earmarked the Andrew Wiggins revenge game last night, like I don't know, that might be a little <laughs> over the top. But he absolutely takes it uh, in, in, throughout the course of that game. I think he had 35 Golden State kills uh, the Timberwolves. They're 10-1. How sustainably good in your mind is Golden State? They're sustainably good because Steph Curry is sustainably good, and they're obviously going to play defense. Draymond Green has everybody on the right page, and they're playing with incredible effort so far. They're first in the league in defense, third in offense. I don't foresee either of those dropping a ton. You know, I think it's certainly reasonable they're top ten on both sides of the ball, given the talent they have. And, you know, I think that they would probably go 82-0 and if they could figure out a way for Andrew Wiggins <laughs> to play every game against one of his old teams. The guy averages 20 points per game for his career, but 26 per game against the Timberwolves and 24 per game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. The man is the Michael Jordan of revenge games, Canada version at least. That's right. And he's, he's Salt Bay, but for basketball. He's, just, he's ready right. every time when the salt is ready. Uh, Trey Kirby's with us here from the No Dunks Pod on The Athletic here on Spain and Fitz. Let's talk about another start not as promising, the Bucks. Are we worried about the Bucks, or is this your standard post-celebration slow start for a team coming off a title win? I'm not worried about the Bucks. To me, they came out and kind of proved where they were going to be at this season on opening night. Everybody was coming in this year saying, yeah, the Bucks are one of the title contenders, but even in the Eastern Conference, which they have run through for the past couple of seasons, they're not the favorite. So they went out and they smacked the Brooklyn Nets, beat them by 20-plus, and really kind of announced themselves, yeah, we're still the same team. They've gone through some injuries to Drew Holiday. Uh, Brooke Lopez has missed a bunch of time. Chris Middleton has been in the health and safety protocol. So they haven't had their total team uh, available to them every single night out there. And like you're saying, a little bit of a championship hangover. To me, the Bucks at this point have figured out 
it doesn't matter what we do in the regular season. They finished with the top seed in the Eastern Conference twice and then went out in the playoffs earlier than expected, whereas last year they came in number three, ended up winning the title. So to them, I think they've kind of figured out a way to pace themselves and make sure that they're peaking at the right time. Uh, if they're struggling another month into the season and they can't get anybody healthy, then I'll start worrying. But for now, I saw as much as I needed to see on opening night. They can go toe-to-toe with the Nets and beat them easily. If you've seen what you need to see from that team, give me a team that's out there that you're just stunned by, that right now so far in the early, early in the season you can't believe where they are, good or bad. I wasn't expecting much from the Washington Wizards. So to see them up at the top of the Eastern Conference sitting at 8-3 and three right there with the Chicago Bulls, that has been quite a surprise to me because, yeah, they made a trade in the offseason. You know, they shipped out Russell Westbrook, and it kind of just seemed like, okay, we're getting in a whole bunch of random parts here, mostly from various Los Angeles teams. KCP came over, Montrezl Harrell came over, Spencer Dinwiddie, oddly enough, was part of the trade. Uh, they, they were able to shoehorn him in there, but – Trading Westbrook's massive contract for basically an entire NBA caliber uh, rotation has certainly worked out for the Wizards. Bradley Beal hasn't even been playing very well to start this season. We know he'll end up probably at about 30 points per game, but they're playing defense. They're playing hard, and they're doing just enough offensively to get by. A couple of huge threes by Kuzma last night to get a win over the Cavs. They have uh, cracked the code on how to be successful in the NBA just run out a bunch of players who are actually good. You know, they're not pulling any rotation guys, <laughs> random rotation guys out. Everybody can play for any NBA team, and it works. They all are committed to playing together, and I've been impressed with the Wizards for sure. Trey Kirby, you can find him on the No Dunks pod on The Athletic here to confirm that the Bulls are indeed back, not just 100% back, but 110% back. Trey, thanks for the time. Thanks so much for having me. Maybe we'll check in in a couple of weeks after this circus trip to see if we're still at 110%. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It might be the most important conversation we've ever had on the show. Uh, Arby's has released two French fry flavored vodkas, which got us asking you what fast food related items would you like infused into your vodka? And I thought I had it one with a Wendy's frosty vodka. But Fitz, there are a few that are up there. And one of them was right off the top. At Running Fish Fan hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Some news for Spain and Fitz Nation. McDonald's Shamrock Shake Vodka. Mm. I okay, mean. That sounds good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. We also got a McDonald's Cherry Pie Infused Vodka. Oh. I could get down with that. Um, our, our friend Angry Bears Fan Dadman made things weird with some Culver's Cheese Curd Vodka. No, thank you. I, I mean, don't but, want but that. He's at least on point. Like. This comes from a French fry vodka. Like, we've all gone to the right, dessert savory. vodkas because they're easy. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, the D- the DQ pumpkin pie blizzard vodka sounds magical. I don't know. A Wendy's Baconator vodka for a good Bloody Mary? It's it's too much for me. The Chick-fil-A Polynesian sauce that at 78 Bears fans suggested? No, thanks. Well, I, don't I don't want the Chris Cody cheesy gordita crunch vodka. I just I don't. don't. I don't want White Castle options. Sliders vodka. Mm. Make Bloody Marys with them, then White Castle Sliders are the garnish on the stick, plus some celery, make it healthy. No thanks, I'm good. Sliders you know? is a pretty good way to describe what your stomach feels like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we got some good suggestions, though. Shout out to you guys. I also think that Wendy's should just pay me now 
and we should work together on that Wendy's Frosty Vodka. I swear that to would God, make... you're going to get a Wendy's deal before I do it. I've been begging <laughs> on every platform. I mean, I haven't I've been, been to Wendy's in like shilling. 17 years, and I'm going to get the deal before you. I actually got yelled at on a digital show for talking about Wendy's too much <laughs> on a highlight. That's All real. right, Wendy's, send him, send him a you know cheeseburger or whatever he he's into. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We've got important things to get to beyond Baconator Vodka, and that is that I beat Fitz again in the picks last week. I actually don't think this is a very good Steelers team. That being said, I really don't have faith in this Bears squad right now. The Steelers are going to get the W. Whoa, that was close. I do think that the Raiders are better than the Giants. And at the end of the day, I have no idea what to expect from the team on the field. I have no idea how they'll possibly focus on actual football. But I still believe the Raiders are a better team than the Giants. So I'm going to pick Vegas to win this game. But I have no idea what to really expect. How could you have such horrible instincts and survive this long? I I picked the (laughs) Cowboys over the Broncos. Yeah, I actually picked that game also. And I also picked the Cowboys. Not even close, but I am curious to see what Cincinnati looks like in a game after they just got the news from the college football playoff committee that they basically have no chance at the college football playoff. I think Cincinnati will be fired up because of it at home. Game day being there. I think they are going to roll Tulsa. This to me is a very easy game to call, which of course, again, those trap games can be a little worrisome, but Buffalo has the top scoring offense and defense. Josh Allen up there in the MVP conversation. On the other side, you have the Jags, though the Bills. But I'm with you. I also picked mm. Buffalo to win this game. Give me a home with the Buffalo Roam. I feel like I got my point across pretty good. Rams over the Titans. <laughs> I'm interested to see how good the Titans look when they open it up. But even at that, I don't think that they stand a chance against what I still think is the best team in the NFC. Amazing. Every word of what you just said was wrong. I went with the Ravens over the Vikings. Kick is up, it is on its way, and it is good! Another walk-off, game-winning field goal for Justin Tucker. I think that the Eagles, the fact that they beat the Lions doesn't say anything to me about whether they're actually going to go on a run here, and I think the Chargers are a better team, so I'm going with the Chargers. Well done, Stosh, putting those together. If you weren't keeping count, three and two for me. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, three and two for me. Uh, and one and four for Fitz. Woof. Mm, yeah. That is rough sauce for you. Uh, we will tally up our totals, but we got to get to this week's picks because I am off tomorrow, which means this will be five pick Thursday instead of five pick Friday. And my bears are on a buy, which means I don't have to select them in any of these. So I'm going to start with writing everything in the world that was wronged last week. The Bills are going to beat the Jets, okay? And if the Bills can't beat the Jets and rebound from a brutal loss last week to the Jags and get themselves back into the running for best team, best QB, then I don't know what I'm watching anymore. And I already feel that way, but that would really cement it if the Bills lost to the Jets. So I'm picking the Bills over the Jets. Yeah, that was at the top of my list, too, for for easy games to pick this week because the Bills are just flat out better than the Jets. And you're not going to have back-to-back weeks doing what they just did, right? Like, that's what I keep telling myself, at least. I, uh, I'll get one out of the way that I have to pick, but I feel good about it, Sarah. I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to lie to you. I have not <laughs> felt this good about a Raiders-Chiefs matchup Whoa. in years. In years. And it's not because I don't think the Chiefs are good. 
It's because I think it's a bad matchup for Kansas City the way they're structured. The way you can beat this Chiefs team right now is getting after the quarterback with four, and there is no team getting after the end of their opposing quarterback at a higher rate than the Raiders without sending the blitz. Their front four can absolutely dominate Kansas City's offensive line. I think the Raiders are going to beat the Chiefs, and all of the conversation is going to turn around on this team by Monday morning. I will be very, very cocky. What a terrible decision by you. You just gave us so much to work with when they lose. This is a team that just blew it. Well, to I mean, the we won't Giants. remember by next month when they actually lose a game. I mean, I mean man, that's a bold a that's a bold move from a guy whose team just lost to the Giants. All right, my next pick again, righting the wrongs of last week. I still think the Cowboys are a good team. There are questions about a defense that we thought was fixed after the first couple games. But I am confident enough to pick them against the Falcons, even though the Falcons have had some interesting games. The Cowboys are a better team, and they will win. Yeah, I'm with you. I also took the Cowboys over the Falcons. Uh, and look, I will give the Falcons a lot of credit. They gave the Saints everything they could handle last week and won that game, right? Like, they almost falconed, so maybe things have turned the corner. I'm not going to say that, really, with a straight face. But the Cowboys <laughs> need to rebound from it. And I think this year, as much as we've seen inconsistency, I'm not sure we'll see back-to-back inconsistency from teams this good this late. Uh, so I- I'm with you on that. I like that pick. All right, I'm going to move on. I've got the Bucks over the Washington football team. Uh, the Washington football team has been so disappointing. I know offensively, obviously, injuries have played a part, but the defense was supposed to be the cream of the crop. It hasn't been. The Bucks are a great team. I've got Tampa Bay. Yeah, well, that's a good pick, actually. I went with an easy one on the on the uh, docket because anytime the Lions are playing right now, pick against them. Steelers going to take the Lions. I still don't think the Steelers are any good, by the way, but they're going to play a Lions team that is just awful. So the Steelers win that one easily, not because of the Steelers, but because, frankly, Detroit's Detroit. I agree with you, but it's really hard for me to pick the Steelers. They were not a good football team against the Bears. Big Ben doesn't look good. And Detroit keeps playing people close for the most part and then kind of losing in dramatic fashion. So that one seemed like a little bit too on the edge for me. I went with the Cardinals over the Panthers. I recognize that the Panthers may be excited or maybe infused with some energy because of the cam signing, but not enough that I could take them over an Arizona team that I think is the best in the league right now. Really tough college football matchup every week. I picked the side of game day. This week they're headed to AM taking on Ole Miss. This comes down to coaches. I think they're two pretty evenly matched teams, but I think right now AM being slept on a little bit, and they have a much better coach than Ole Miss does. Sorry, Lane Kiffin. So at the end of the day, I'm taking A&M simply because I don't believe in Lane in an easy, in, in an even, I should say, matchup. All right, my final pick is the Rams over San Francisco. The ESPN Monday Night Football schedulers real excited about Odell because that makes what could be a stinker into a much more interesting game. The Niners are not good. The Rams are very good, and I don't think even Odell Beckham could arrive in in that short order, ruin a great team like that. So, And I don't think he will anyway. I think he's a good addition. So I've got the Rams over the Niners. At Spain and Fitz, Fitz will be solo tomorrow hanging out with you on a Friday. I'm going to go buy a Frosty and put some vodka in it. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.